The scripture passage today comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to the chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak. And starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Pour out your spirit, O Lord, that we might be made new from the hearing of the word just read and the words to come. In Christ's name, amen. Whenever I read... These ancient stories of faith from the Bible, I often have to do a bit of preliminary digging just to understand what was going on back then before I can begin to make any meaning for my life today. The obvious question mark for me, and I imagine for many 21st century North Americans, is that six-letter word, eunuch. I asked a few teenagers in Montreat this last week if they knew what a eunuch was. Most of them didn't know, but they had some great guesses. Now, to be fair, I did not give them the context of the reading. I just gave them the word to define. One said, eunuch, hmm, sounds like tunic. Then another said, hmm, it sounds like something you do art with. Or or could it be a leotard? But I think the best answer came from a sophomore boy who said, I think a eunuch is a sign on a micrometer, just one below a millimeter. No, but great guesses anyway. A eunuch is, of course, a person. In Bible times, a eunuch is most often a castrated man who can then be trusted to be in charge of all the king's women in his harem. We just read that this Ethiopian eunuch was an important official in charge of the queen's treasury. 
The law of Deuteronomy 23 reminds us that no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So a eunuch is forbidden to worship in the temple. Ethiopian was a word in the Roman Greco world that would have applied to black skinned people. So we have a powerful foreigner in charge of the treasury who doesn't look like us. He's educated because he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. He's rich because he's riding in a chariot and he's just made a long journey to Jerusalem. And this guy has such physical differences or imperfections that he's not even allowed to worship with us in our sanctuary. He is the epitome of the outsider. I'm drawn to this scripture passage about the Ethiopian eunuch because I have always had a soft spot for the underdog. This has nothing to do with any worthy choice that I have made. God has just hardwired me with a heart for those who are teased and ridiculed or ignored completely. One of my earliest memories in elementary school was when the class bully was telling a mentally disabled boy to go out and play in the street. The quiet vulnerability of this trusting boy who just wanted to fit in sparked a protective anger in me that spewed out in venom to that mean-spirited kid. I was no bigger than a minute, but had enough adrenaline and confidence to publicly shame the bully and then to take the young boy to our teacher. Please don't hear this as a Bravo Lori story. This is simply a story about the way God knit me together. And as you reflect on your own story, I'm sure that you, too, can recognize and claim the divine spark that's in you. Unfortunately, I have so many tendencies that do not align with the likeness of Christ that God gives me lots and lots of experiences from which to learn and grow and be shaped. It's a good thing that both of us like a good challenge. You know, honestly, one of my challenges as an adult is often just to find my voice again, to have the courage to speak up for others who are being bullied and mistreated. You know, those people that we bump into outside of our gated communities, outside of our comfortable friend groups, outside of those who look, think, and act like we do those people that we would actually meet in the wilderness. So Philip is my new hero. We just read in Acts how Philip gets an absurd request from a bossy angel, and then he just does it. No excuses given, no questions asked. She tells him to travel down a wilderness road at noon. This is not a safe nor prudent thing to do, because this, of course, is where the wild things are. Are you familiar with this children's book? It was written in 1963 by Morris Sendak, and it has won several awards, including the Caldecott Award for Best Picture Book. It has been made into an opera, an animated short, and a movie. The book has even been read on numerous occasions by a president at the annual egg, Easter egg roll at the White House. It's a simple story, really, of a young boy named Max who, after dressing in his wolf costume, wreaks such havoc in his household that he's sent to bed without his supper. Max's bedroom undergoes a mysterious transformation into a jungle, and he winds up sailing to an island where the wild things are. 
They roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws until Max said, be still. And he tamed them. And now, Max cried, let the wild rumpus start. And then they spent time together on the island in this wilderness. They played wild and silly games and became great friends. When it was time to go home, as all little boys must do, the wild thing said, oh, please don't go. We love you so. You see, this time in the wilderness changed both the monsters and the boy. I think that God does some of God's best work in the wilderness. It seems like whenever I am out of my comfort zone and in less control, the spirit has more room to move and expand both in and around me. The spirit of God is always a movement towards inclusive love, grounded peace and radiating joy. I went on my first mission trip to Nicaragua when I was 50 years old. God was waiting for us to arrive and was so present during the entire trip. When you can't speak the language, you are unfamiliar with the food, the customs, and the type of work you'll be doing, and you're completely dependent on a gracious host. Your whole being is a full-body prayer to God to help you with courage strength, peace, comfort, and love. And you know what? God shows up in a powerful way to everyone who is gathered in the wilderness. A Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist gave this advice in a newsletter for reporters and editors. There are no stories in the morning meetings of the newsroom where topics are thrown around. Editors must send reporters out into the world, trusting them to find the stories. Even if your assignment is a high school graduation ceremony or a routine trial, find the most interesting person to sit with. This is exactly what the angel did for Philip. Go down that wilderness road and find the most interesting person to sit with. It seemed unlikely to find a story way out there when all of the action was happening back in Jerusalem. But what a story Philip found. All of a sudden, two men who couldn't be more different from one another are sitting side by side on a wilderness road. They come from different races and different ethnic groups. One, a wandering faith healer of an upstart religious movement. The other, a court official and a sexual minority excluded from temple worship in Jerusalem. Yet this is where God sends Philip. This is where God meets Philip and the eunuch. Can you imagine it? Strangers sitting shoulder to shoulder, reading scripture together, moving in the same direction. Let the wild rumpus start. Touched by the spirit of our inclusive all-loving God, the Ethiopian eunuch is bold enough to ask, what is to prevent me from being baptized? A person for his whole life has been made to feel less than others, who was looked down upon, and who has been kept on the outside of the faith family, now has the courage to say to an insider, hey, what about me? 
Philip is also touched and changed by the Spirit because of this encounter on the wilderness road. Philip has the courage and the love in his heart to baptize this strange man. You see, the gift of baptism was given to one who, by no fault of his own, had been dismissed. And that's good news. But what about all of us? All of us who have done things that make us feel not quite good enough to be included in God's family. Well, this reminds me of the story of Eustace in the book The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder by C.S. Lewis. The story takes place in a magical world called Narnia. Eustace is a chubby little boy who is arrogant, selfish, unfriendly, and generally disliked by every character in the story. During one of their amazing travels throughout Narnia, Eustace wanders off by himself and ends up stumbling upon a cave containing a dragon's hoard of treasures. Eustace, who is a greedy kid, realizes that he could be rich as a king in Narnia if he keeps all that treasure for himself. Exhausted from the excitement of discovering the dragon's riches, Eustace falls asleep on top of the towering stack of crowns, jewels, and gold coins. When Eustace wakes up the next morning, he realizes he has been transformed into a dragon. He sees his reflection in a lake, and he sees that he's nothing but a monster. In Narnia, if you think dragon thoughts and do dragon things, eventually you become a dragon. I wonder if the same is true where we live. Can we relate at all to what happened to Eustace? Becoming a dragon is a dangerously sneaky process. Becoming a dragon takes a long string of bad choices and decisions you don't even realize you're making until it's too late. One day, you glance at yourself in the mirror and a monster is staring back at you. You think back on your life, you add up the countless mistakes, and you realize that you're not who you used to be. You're not who you want to be. You're not who you were created and designed to be. Instead, you're a dragon. But here's the good news. There is hope. When Eustace was all alone and at his lowest point, he meets Christ through a lion named Aslan. The lion tells the boy to remove his scales. Eustace tries to free himself by painfully tearing away the layers of scales, but he just can't do it by himself. Eustace fearfully and reluctantly agrees to let the lion shed his scales for him. Aslan plunges his enormous claws into Eustace's chest. The pain is unbearable. Finally, the lion reaches deep into the chest cavity of the dragon and pulls out a small, trembling boy who is dripping with filth. Listen to what happens next and how it relates to the eunuch and to us. Aslan then throws the boy's pale body into the waters of the well. Eustace breaks the surface of the water and gasps for air. He's no longer a dragon. He is finally the boy he was created to be. He is washed, clean, changed, and made whole. His friends are no longer scared of him. In fact, when his friend Edmund sees Eustace, he exclaims, You have been undragoned. This 
is the beauty and the power of baptism. We are washed, cleaned, changed, and made whole. We, too, are undragoned. And we are welcomed into the faith family to hold our hand along the twisting, winding wilderness roads of life. Now, we do more of a baptism splash at Church of the Palms, but I like what Frederick Beekner says about all of this. He says, baptism consists of getting dunked or sprinkled. Which technique is used matters about as much as whether you pray kneeling or standing on your head. Dunking is a better symbol, however. Going under symbolizes the end of everything about your life that is less than human. Coming up again symbolizes the beginning in you of something strange and new and hopeful. You can breathe again. Whatever technique that is used, baptism enacts and seals the word proclaimed, God's redeeming grace for all people. To the eunuch, to the sinners and the saints, to you and to me. When we are baptized, we are made one with Christ, with one another and with the church of every time and place, overcoming all barriers of race, status and gender. And that is very good news. As a baptized follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit empowered Philip to go where the wild things are, bringing this all-inclusive grace and love of Jesus Christ with him wherever he went. It was a wild ride, but you know these encounters shaped and influenced Philip's life as much as the people he bumped into. So now, as we remember the gift of our baptism May we, too, be empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring this all-inclusive grace and love with us wherever we go. Let the wild rumpus start.